1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 150 of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, and your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as on Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages, at SWB on Films. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Hurlman, and with me like the dark horse on a dark night storm in a Disney castle, the eu guru himself the count of two continuities mr nathan
0: p butler hey everybody 150 regular episodes of the show hang on let me see if i can do my golf clap still there you go and the sound (laughs) of one hand clapping what was that that yeah that's right that's right lame stuff that you do when you're supposed to be doing something else usually in school i would assume i think that was an elementary school thing you nailed that golf club. I'm excited for this one. I'm tired. I think you and I are both uh, snotty and sinusy, but this should actually be a pretty interesting topic, albeit one that's breadth and scope is perhaps bigger than we usually try to fit into one episode this time around.
1: Yeah, I think that'll definitely be the challenge here. Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time? What's going on with Disney and canon and Star Wars? Or simple ones that have plexed you off and on? You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we look back at Dark Horse Comics' run of Star Wars Works, as their time with the franchise draws to a close. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sensions of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure Beyond the
0: Films. That's right, we are looking at Dark Horse, which is. They are the longest running license holder for Star Wars spin off materials or Expanded Universe, now Legends materials out there. I mean, Marvel had the contract at first. And we saw them produce the Marvel comics. We saw them produce stuff in Pazazz. We saw stuff with Marvel UK that eventually got reprinted in the U.S. when it was original stuff. Uh, we saw the L.A. Times newspaper syndicate get to do their comic strip that eventually became what we think of as classic Star Wars, or classic Star Wars, the early adventures and so forth. But all of that ended in the late 80s as Marvel sort of fizzled out with Ewoks and droids. And Blackthorn Publishing very briefly got a chance to do some Star Wars 3D stories, albeit only three issues. and then there was sort of that sea change that happened, and we got this new launch of the so-called official continuity, which now is Legends, with Dark Horse's Dark Empire, Uh, right around the same time that we saw the novel release of Timothy Zahn's Heir to the Empire, which were the launching points of the book and comic lines, albeit flip-flopped in that order, of this new overall continuity that's all supposed to fit together. And whereas Bantam that had the license for the Star Wars novels wound up shifting, uh, sort of, to Del Rey. I say sort of because technically Bantam is now owned by the same people, but it went from Bantam as sort of a, for lack of a better term, a publishing philosophy, to Del Rey, where it went from trilogies and individual single books and such to being these bigger series with this new approach that they took once Del Rey was publishing them. You sort of see that as a split in that cycle. But Dark Horse has continued on with Star Wars comics from 1991 all the way here through what is basically the end of 2014. That is a long run for any Star Wars licensee. And we found out that was coming to an end back, I guess, around January. There were announcements being made that pretty much told us what everybody expected that now that Disney had picked up Lucasfilm and thereby picked up Star Wars and was bringing sort of new life to the franchise, so to speak, though some will love it, some will hate it, depending on your thoughts on the new canon versus Legends and all, we knew that chances were that since Marvel was owned by Disney, Star Wars would jump back to Marvel at some point. The announcement finally came and everybody was like, yeah, we kind of figured that. Then about three, four months later, in April of 2014, that's when we got the big announcement, about how the official continuity was becoming the Legends continuity, and a new canon, I call it story group canon, driven by the Lucasfilm story group as opposed to Lucas or anyone else, is going to be the new predominant continuity for Star Wars, the real Star Wars universe, until at some point they decide that it needs to be shuffled off to make way for something new again. Dark Horse, therefore, is mostly within that Legends continuity chunk, but they were a huge part of developing it. And they do have the distinction of having one comic series now that is sitting in both the Legends and new story group canon continuities, that being Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir, because it's based on unproduced scripts for The Clone Wars Season 6. But otherwise, we're looking at a series that was either Legends continuity or a, a series of series and mini-series that uh, would also include some oddities. Some reprints, uh, some things that were in continuity, in fact most of it, Uh, Some things that were out of continuity in rare instances, and some real experimentation in Star Wars that a lot of other parties just never really did. Uh, Never delved quite so deep into the possibilities of what could be done with the Star Wars license. Probably because Dark Horse was producing multiple monthly comic series as opposed to one book every so often, or one video game every so often, and so forth. So, we want to take a look back. Not at every single series, because that would take forever, it would seem. Instead, some of the trends, some of the best, some of the worst, and some of the oddities from Dark Horse's time. They have released their last comics as of August 2014 in terms of new single-issue content. And in October, they finally released the final trade paperback of Legacy Volume 2, which included their last new content overall, which is those new pages added in to the number 0 or 0 and 1 half guidebook-style issue that was collected into that trade paperback. Now. It's nothing but reprints until the license is gone and Marvel, oddly enough, starts reprinting Dark Horse's stuff almost immediately. So, I guess, just sort of to give us a sense of where we are, maybe we should start with the end. Dark Horse is ending here after almost a year of fans knowing that it's coming to an end, and Dark Horse knowing that it's coming to an end. What do you think, Mark? about the slate of comics that we've gotten from Dark Horse and say the last year, year and a half, the ones that Dark Horse is ending on.
1: That one's a little rougher because, I mean, I take into consideration at the beginning of the year, we had, what was it, January 3rd. Mike Richardson gave us this great little end-of-an-era blog at Dark Horse Comic, and one of the things they mentioned in there was our goal was to create sequels, prequels of the films that we loved, paying careful attention to quality and detail, essentially treating those films as though they were our own. And Dark Horse did a really good job of that up to some points. But I think this last year, keeping that in mind, I think that they really dropped the ball on their way going out. But I think that that also could be that the ball was thrown into their hands, into their lap last minute. Like they could have been working on other projects that may have been of better quality than what we got that they just didn't have time to develop. There were just a lot of stories this year that were lackluster. They weren't that great. Even the Darth Maul one, like, it's great from a canon perspective. From a Legends perspective, not so much. And there's no resolution for Maul in a Legends aspect, which would have been something I would love to see Dark Horse do. Marvel though has an opportunity to do that with canon, but we don't know what's going on with legends. So there's a lot of that conflict for me going forward, knowing that, you know, we're moving away from one and shifting to another one. And I'm still not ready to let go. I'm still one of those fans that I would love to see legends getting one book, one comic arc or so, maybe even three or four a year, you know, let it continue to grow alongside there and I would be happy. But Dark Horse. What they gave us this last year, I don't know, man. I I, I wish that it would have been greatness. You know, I mean, I, I wish there would have been stories like some of the stuff we got from Legacy, some of the stuff we've got from Knights of the Old Republic. Heck, even some of the stuff we got from Knight would Errant have, would have been better than some of the stuff we got this last year. This last year wasn't one of those that was going out with a bang. You know, it, it faded out. And I, I think that that for me is probably one of the sadder things of what's happened with Dark Horse.
0: I'm going to have to agree with that. It's that old phrase about going out with a bang versus going out with a whimper. And I feel like, and this is why I wanted to deal with it first, not just because it's the most recent thing, but because I think this gets a lot of the negativity out of the way up front so we can move on to more of the positive things. But it really does feel like the last year and a half or so of Dark Horse Comics, uh, barring some exceptions, has been very lackluster. At least a downgrade from where it was a few years ago, before certain titles were shuffled off to the side and then replaced by these new titles that just never really lived up to the excitement or the hype. I do think Darth Maul's Son of Dathomir was pretty cool, if only because we got a chance to see unproduced Clone Wars scripts, so the story of Maul, from Lucas's perspective, got to continue. That was cool. I like the fact that we got to see the Star Wars done as sort of an experiment in Star Wars continuity or in Star Wars uh, history. But as we talked about in our last few episodes, it by itself was not a great comic series because it was based on a synopsis or an early rough draft script of The Star Wars that became A New Hope that just was not a very good script. But a big cool thing for them to be able to do here at the end. But otherwise, I mean, what did they have going recently? They had Rebel Heist. Wow, that was a waste of paper. Rebel Heist did absolutely nothing for me as. Of course, you may recall from back when we did our review of it, we also had another Darth Vader series, Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows. Yep. I think the Darth Vader series was a great example of how Dark Horse would sometimes latch onto something really cool and play it out until it died. The The first Darth Vader series by Hayden Blackman were really, really good. Then they brought in uh, Seidel, and we got Darth Vader and the Lack of Plot, and Darth Vader and the Cry of Shadows, which... Wasn't all that great, but at least was better than Dark Vader and the Lack of Plot. Which, again, is kind of like being valedictorian at summer school. You know, you're the best (laughs) of a poor lot. Along with this, we had seen Legacy End and Legacy Volume 2 begin. Very, very hyped up. Hey, look, it's a relative of the solos. Let's see what's going to happen with her. I think it had potential. It never got a chance to reach that potential and was hampered by pretty low-bar art throughout most of the time that it was running.
1: You know, that was the one series that, that I kind of actually forgot about, and I think that I blame the beginning. The beginning didn't catch me. I did like the ending, though, but I felt like the drive to that ending was rushed. And again, that's probably because the ball got thrown in their lap last minute.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely seeming rushed. Hey, let's... And and I don't think we've really delved too much into this particular storyline for it, so spoilers for a brief moment about that last arc of Legacy Volume 2 to a degree, but... Let's just take every possible Sith in the entire galaxy, dump them on a planet, and let them get their butts kicked so we can say the story is over. Really? <laughs> That's how you're gonna end it? At least it had an ending, but damn. Star Wars Volume 2, I guess, is the opposite. Great artwork at times, but at the same time, this was the most hyped up series Dark Horse has ever had for Star Wars. It's when they delved into the, the ridiculous marveldom of variant covers, and I, I picked up a ton of the variant covers until I started seeing the ones that were like, hey, it's an exclusive variant limited to however many because Alex Ross signed it with this color pin. And then the sketch covers that were really ridiculously difficult to find for a reasonable price. But I've still got a lot of those variants sitting here. But in those, this last year, they launched a series with a lot of hype that perhaps was meant to be the beginning of a new continuity or something that trampled previously existing stuff, Nobody seemed to give a crap except the fans in that regard. Uh, At times, seemed sort of nonsensical, and just it sort of fell underneath the weight of all the hype. It was the Phantom Menace of comic launches for Dark Horse's Star Wars line, and amidst all of this, we had all these variant covers that felt like a last cash grab while they could do it. Although now we find that Marvel's new Star Wars number one has what I think at the last count... A couple friends of mine, Eddie and Carlos, had counted, what, 20-plus variants of this upcoming new release, and that is still counting, including foreign-only variants? It's ridiculous. I I knew of eight, but 20-plus? Oh, my God.
1: Like, I I knew going into Marvel that we were going to be getting a lot of variants, but holy cow, I feel so bad for the people whose OCD will not let them not get those covers. Like I mean, I have I have a special OCD with my bookshelf, but like that's just nuts. Uh, you know when you mentioned the Star Wars being a reboot, we were talking about the ball being dark. Do you, you wonder if maybe Dark Horse was under the impression that Star Wars Volume Two was going to be their reboot series, and then they found out later, like oh 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 wait, Darth Maul's son of Dathomir's the one that's going to be in the new canon, not the Star Wars.
0: Or wait, you mean? We're not going to get to keep the license, even though <laughs> everybody and their mother that it's going to go to Disney at some point. Um, so, so Star Wars Volume 2, we've hit that, as we've discussed it here on the show, not a great series. Good as a reboot, perhaps, even though somewhat nonsensical at times, but really a mess when it came to continuity. And not something that Dark Horse really should have put all of its gusto behind in terms of marketing because it makes them look like they don't give a crap about Star Wars continuity, or at least prior to the whole new canon thing and whatnot. Um, I will say, though, that one standout of the last year or two years was Dawn of the Jedi. One of the patterns I want to look at, and this is a nice transition into it, is how really it seems like one of the things that Dark Horse really shined at is when they were developing an entire new era totally unencumbered by other things. Dawn of the Jedi is a great example of that. Uh, They were able to build off ideas like the Force War and whatnot that we got back in the essential chronology and just ran with it to create this new backstory that also had ties, of course, into things that we saw in the Old Republic MMO. But it was something that was its own era, had a tie-in novel, but the novel really felt more like it was based on the comics rather than them being sort of parallel ventures here, in a sense. It was sort of a story that's fit in within some of the cracks in the comics and whatnot. But you take something like that, it gives them a chance to really do something new and flesh out an era and give us something fresh. They did that with Legacy Volume 1. They did that with Tales of the Jedi. I mean, this is one of the things that they are really, really good at doing. And I would say that Dawn of the Jedi is probably the single most unfortunate thing about the last couple years in terms of series that ended prematurely. We got the end of the Force War, but we didn't get anything going past it. We didn't get to see the ramifications of it, didn't get to see the formation of an actual Jedi rather than Jedi Order, didn't get to see uh, any more as to where these characters were going to fill in some of the gaps that we get within the history of the Force from things like Jedi vs. Sith, the essential guide to the Force, and whatnot. What about Dawn of the Jedi and this notion that I think is valid, I think our listeners mostly would say that it's valid, that Dark Horse was generally at its best when it was playing in a fresh field where it got to set the rules and establish an era.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say most EU fans, when it came to Dark Horse, dwelled in one or the other end of the timeline. It was either Legacy set 140 years after Events of a New Hope, or it was KOTOR and stuff like that set way early, or even Tales of the Jedi, that earlier stuff. But I think that so many people are able to appreciate the fact that you're building something new and it's not going to conflict with what's there. I mean, you have different types of fans, those that do not care whether or not it conflicts and those that do. And the only way you're going to make them all happy is to make them not conflict because those that don't care, they're not going to care one way or the other. I-, I think as a model, it's a smart model for Marvel to look at. Uh, You know, I mean. Think about jumping away from these eras that a lot of people have already done. Yes, it's a new canon. Yes, we haven't seen Luke and Han jump from A to B to C and back again in the the moments between A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back that are new. But at the same time, we have 20 years of seeing those stories be told over and over again. Yeah, these ones no longer count as canon. And we don't have a canon story, but do we really need to have a canon story right now when we have all these alternate versions of things out there? I would love to see Marvel do something similar where they jump into the past and, you know, give us a Mandalorian story or something like that. You know, and there's so many aspects and angles of the culture and canon alone, you know, just leaving everything legends aside, just the canon materials out there. There's plenty of stuff that they could build off of and flesh out and do in a regard of, of going into the past and setting things up for in the future. Or jumping into the future and kind of hinting at what may have happened from the past. There, Those angles to me, those are the ones that really get me excited because I want to know how it connects. I think for me the, the bigger problem is when they elude they that there's going to be answers and we never get the answers. I mean, I am the type that I like to see a mystery and have it slowly be filled out. Legends, you know, we had the, the center point station and there was this mystery around it. And eventually, you know, New Jedi Order, we started to see Anakin Solo messing with it and stuff like that. And for me, that was awesome. I was like I was in a heyday of awesomeness, like, yes, finally, the details I want. And I don't know, for me, that's the kind of stuff that I would love to see them play with. Go back in the past, set something up for a a series you plan to put in the future that that ties the two together. It doesn't have to be even tied tightly. It can be a loosely tied thing, you know? I mean, kind of like what we got with uh, Rogue Planet and and Verger when when that tied into the New Jedi Order. I mean, when you're reading that book, you'd have never known it tied into the New Jedi Order. Not until you're into the New Jedi Order and you're like, wait, didn't that have to do with way back in Rogue Planet? So that kind of angle, I think, would be a smart angle to go. I, I think when, like, with Dark Horse when they went with Star Wars Volume Two, I think anytime you get into an area where it may conflict with what's going on on the screen, I think you're asking for problems. And so, I'm one of those that I would rather they stick away from the movies and stuff like that because they don't know where Episode Seven's going. You know, try to stay away from it as much as possible so you're not creating potential for problems down the road.
0: These were the series that, to me, I mean, they sort of epitomized the creativity that Dark Horse could bring to the table. Uh, Legacy, creating this idea of the one Sith with Darth Crate and all. Cade Skywalker, a very, very different Skywalker. Uh, the different situation for the galaxy, yet continuing the same rules of the universe, continuing the same sort of cycle of Jedi versus Sith. And we had an episode where we talked about whether or not there's too much of that, whether it's something that just shows a lack of creativity. But in a sense, it's all these variants on a theme. In a sense, that's happening. Same thing when it comes to Tales of the Jedi. Now, I love Tales of the Jedi, in particular, especially the first few series, the initial series, Freedom at Uprising, Dark Lords of the Sith, and Sith War, with Redemption as the end cap to that. As opposed to the two that came in between the Golden Age of the Sith stuff, although it provided really necessary uh, background to it all. I mean, they're really good at this development of eras, in a sense. I will say though, to sort of flip that around, one of the things that Dark Horse seemed to struggle with was in creating stories tying into existing eras. Because Dark Horse wasn't the only one fleshing out eras. I mean, you had, for instance, with Bantam. The era after Return of the Jedi for a while, minus Dark Empire, it's pretty much them. It's the Thrawn Trilogy, it's the Jedi Academy Trilogy, and so on and so on, but pretty much them. Things like Jedi Academy Leviathan, very much forgotten in the annals of Star Wars comics, albeit one of the ones from Dark Horse that more closely tied into some of those books of the time because of the characters from the Jedi Academy trilogy. You take something like Legacy of the Force. They never tried really much, and we have tie-ins. Fate of the Jedi. These big eras being fleshed out. Even the Darth Bane era, which, oddly enough, started with a short story, and even before that, Jedi vs. Sith, which was a Dark Horse comic series, got more fleshed out within the books in those Darth Bane novels. But the the ideas that pop into my head when I think about tie-in stuff for Dark Horse, usually what pops to my head is kind of a groan. Uh, We have The Old Republic, the MMO. What did we get? The webcomics that were put up by Dark Horse then? Not so great. And what was it? The Lost Sons. Not all that great. Kind of lackluster. They finally tried to tie into New Jedi Order, which, oddly enough, was originally meant to be a Dark Horse storyline to begin with before it wound up being a novel storyline, and Invasion, hard to follow in some cases, kind of off artwork, and eventually a satisfactory conclusion, according to Dark Horse, that satisfied no one in the readership because it left so many questions unanswered. Starfighter. They did the tie-in. Starfighter Crossbones. Decent enough. But ask anyone who remembers Starfighter Crossbones in any detail. It was just sort of there, it felt like a sort of a cash-in, and it's gone. I take Shadows of the Empire. Shadows of the Empire by itself, we'll get into a sort of a separate topic, I'm sure. One of the great successes of Star Wars multimedia storytelling. But when they tried to tell a story building off of it, you got Shadows of the Empire evolution, which was (laughs) awful. And mostly forgotten. I would actually say that probably the only thing that sticks in my mind as an example of Dark Horse trying to build off a previously existing era and sort of mini franchise within the franchise that really did well was Knights of the Old Republic. And I think it's because Knights of the Old Republic really didn't do what those other ones did. The others tried to do something concurrent, something that linked into it very heavily, whereas KOTOR did what most Star Wars stories did. It found an aspect of the universe and told something about it, like an origin story to it. It felt more like, say, picking up Rogue Planet and then reading the New Jedi Order than necessarily trying to find something that ties in and was shoehorned in with it. Instead, it felt like KOTOR was its own thing in comic form. KOTOR was its own own thing in game form. But together, they formed a broader era, which also tied Mm -hmm. back into Tales of the Jedi, Albeit a little bit earlier than the time frame we usually think of KOTOR. But most of the time, when they tried to build off something existing, whether it was New Jedi Order, The Old Republic, Starfighter, even the Shadows of the Empire franchise or mini-franchise, whatever you want to call it, that they rocked so hard initially, it really fell flat most of the time.
1: Well, and I think back to, you know, when the prequel trilogies were coming out and they were making comics for Republic before it became the Republic line – and the things that they were putting out there that they had no clue what was gonna be coming with the with the prequel trilogy. You know, you had Kayada Mundi having multiple wives. Granted they made it work. They found ways to retcon that immediately, but moving forward, I I, I hope Marvel doesn't have a same scenario happen to them. I mean, I don't think that it helped Dark Horse at all being out of that loop because it created those those little inconsistencies with some of their early stuff that tied into the prequels. That was kind of hurtful. You know, you you mentioned uh, the bigger picture that KOTOR paints. I love the fact that when the comic of KOTOR came out, that Malik's character didn't have a more prominent role with Zane. Uh, You know, he was in the story. He was like the main link to the two, but his role was subtle enough. And it was at a time before he fell that it really worked. I mean, it wasn't like they were trying to go back and tell, Revan's story or Malak's story it was that was a side story to what was going on they were telling more of what was going on in the galaxy because in the video game it was like there was this battle going on with the Mandalorians and Revan and Malak took off to go find a super weapon and came back badass Sith. and it was like whoa what happened to them and, and the game picks up from there so it was kind of I really liked the going back and, and knowing that at some point in that comic we were going to get to the events of KOTOR like that was something that I was just always so excited about it was like I didn't care that we weren't going to be getting Revan. We weren't going to be getting Malik, But then Malik shows up in the form he does. And I was like, just beyond tickled because they did it so well. I mean, he didn't show up bald head with his tattoos, with his jaw missing, with red, you know, yellow eyes. He showed up as a Jedi. And I love the, the way they played on his name. I mean, there were so many really cool, small little details that went into that, that that did, as you said, add it to the bigger picture. And that was something they did very, very well.
0: I will say one thing, to balance it back out again, that they did very well with Dark Horse's run, uh, and this probably feels like a side topic to a lot of people, but this was a big deal for its time, was reprint? Dark Horse did a terrific job when it came to reprinting old Star Wars material. You may not have gotten the chance ever, folks, to check out the original Star Wars newspaper strips. Uh, if you had gone on Star Wars Hyperspace at one point, you could have downloaded pretty much all the original newspaper strips of the Star Wars L.A. Times Syndicate strips. That was all the stuff by William Simmons Goodwin, all the stuff with uh, Russ Manning and whatnot. It was all original stuff, but then you also had one story that was actually an adaptation of Han Solo Star's in Brian Daly's first Star Wars novel there's a lot of really kind of interesting stuff there, albeit not the most stellar of storytelling, interesting stuff. And it was sort of lost for a very long time to most modern Star Wars readers until Dark Horse stepped in. Uh, unless you had taken the time to purchase that giant three-volume, I call it the Holy Grail for a while, set that has all the newspaper strips from Williamson and Goodwin in it that signed and numbered and everything, that was something that most Star Wars fans hadn't seen In a very long time in print or online. The online stuff came many years later. Dark Horse stepped in, took the strips, removed some of the redundancy, did some editing, added some new filler artwork and whatnot, colored the stuff that wasn't colored, and released classic Star Wars, that 20-issue series that took in the Williamson and Goodwin stuff. And then came back with more of the Russ Manning stuff with classic Star Wars, the early adventures. Did the Han Solo at Stars End strips in a similar fashion, albeit that in early adventures not getting nearly the treatment that regular classic Star Wars did for the Goodwin-Williamson stuff. But released that also uh, as a classic Star Wars series. They even went back and grabbed all but one of the Marvel UK stories that weren't otherwise available in the U.S. in other printings from the Marvel days and whatnot, uh, like Dark Knight's Devilry and such and put it into classic Star Wars Devil Worlds, and gave us a chance to see it that way. And then, of course, their biggest push with the classics was that they sort of teased us a little bit with classic Star Wars The Vandal Hell Mission, which is just one somewhat random issue uh, because of the creative team. It was the creative team behind classic Star Wars. Uh, one somewhat random story-wise story from the Marvel comic series, renamed, it was called Supply and Demand originally, renamed The Vandal Hell Mission, And released. And people picked it up. It's very much a forgotten story in a lot of ways now. But it set the stage for eventually giving us five black and white sort of random issue Marvel reprint issues. Or or, or five or six, I guess. I guess it was six. Back in digest format. Which set the stage for eventually reprinting the entire Marvel series in trade paperback form. Recolored and re-released. Until finally we got the entire Marvel run in omnibus form, along with droids and Ewoks that hadn't been collected before. The omnibus was also sort of a reprint stock and trade for them as well because much of the Dark Horse library of their own stuff can now be found in that omnibus form, and some of the other really, really early obscure stuff is now found in those Wild Space volumes. When it came to reprinting, especially classic 1970s, 1980s Star Wars stuff, they really used the license to great extent and managed to give modern readers a chance to check out these classics. And for that, I think we should be really grateful to Dark Horse, but I'm not sure how many fans even really think of that when they first start thinking of Dark Horse comics.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things I absolutely loved about their approach was the omnibus format and the fact that they were going back and and reprinting all these things that were really hard to find. wasn't that they weren't out there. It was just that many people weren't giving them up, so finding your own copy was a little hard, and the Omnibus, I love the way that they sit on the shelf, I love that, you know, especially this last year, you know, I have not had as much time to read the books, Jaina is all up in my grill every time, but I can crack a comic and I can read it real fast, and I can get through the comics easy enough going one at a time. Now, if I were to try to grab an Omnibus and do the same thing, I couldn't do that with Jaina per se, but I do like the effect, the ability that it gives you to turn reading your comics into a novelization experience because you're sitting there and suddenly what you could flip through in one sitting now becomes like an hour to two hour to three hour event. And I, I like the way that it changes the reading experience. You know, you read a single comic. It's cool. You can't wait to get to the next one. You read an arc. It's a great story, but when you're reading an omnibus, it's like reading an era. And I really always liked that outlook. And I think that was one of the things that really made me sad was knowing that, marvel's probably not going to be putting out that exact same format they'll probably be doing something similar but i'm one of those it's all about my bookshelf and i like conformity so it's like whatever marvel does i hope it's along the same dimensions as the omnibus because those omnibuses they're brilliant they're about the size of a hardcover and when you have them sitting there on your shelf with your hardcovers they look good it looks really nice together so there's that aspect of it for collectors to think about as well i mean You had so many different options of how you were going to collect it. Did you want to get it in the singles? Did you want to get it in the trays? Did you want to wait for the omnibus? Sometimes you'd have special hardcovers. I mean, you know, I've got Luke Skywalker, Last Hope of the Galaxy, this gigantic hardcover in a box little set with Luke on it. It's got a collection of Marvel, Dark Horse, all these different comics that Dark Horse collected and put together. Really cool little collections like that and stuff that, You know, moving forward, you don't know what Marvel exactly is going to give us, but I really enjoyed the things that Dark Horse gave us. Whether the content was always good or bad, the way they offered the things was part of the allure for me.
0: One other thing that we saw Dark Horse do that a lot of people wanted to see more of, but which I guess just from just a financial standpoint, it didn't make a whole lot of sense for them to do in any great degree is basically to pick up with where that Han Solo at Star's End comic had left off, which was creating adaptations. Of course, for the Star Wars films, they created original adaptations for all three of the prequel films, and they created a new original one for A New Hope that integrated a lot of the changes from the script that the Marvel one was based on. But then for Empire and Jedi, and for a while there for A New Hope before the new one, they were just reprinting the old Marvel ones. But then they came around... They've done photo comic adaptations, uh, they brought over Japanese manga adaptations of all three classic trilogy films, plus The Phantom Menace it would be great to see that type of thing for the other two prequel films, but it doesn't seem like that's going to be in the cards at any point. Um, but they also went back and did things like an adaptation of Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the first Truly EU novel, the one released by Alan Dean Foster, who had also ghostwritten the adaptation of A New Hope in novel form back in 1976, before the film itself was actually even technically out. And one of the more well-received adaptations into comic form of anything really, I think, uh, produced within Star Wars, certainly often held in higher regard than the adaptations of the films in comic form, was the Thrawn Trilogy. Mm-hmm. A very well-received novel series by Timothy Zahn, given a comic adaptation by Mike Barron, albeit with art varying between the different, not different issues, but the three different installments in that trilogy as different miniseries. I I have to say, as cool as that was, I am kind of glad they didn't delve too much into more adaptations, because it would have meant less original content coming out. But then again, looking at some of the original content we're going to look at in a bit, when we start talking about our favorites and least favorites of Dark Horse's run, there are some serious duds that perhaps could have stood to be scrapped and maybe given us an adaptation of the X-Wing novels or something.
1: Although that does bring up a good concept. I mean, I love the Thrawn trilogy adaptation, and. you know, what if we would have got, like, a star-by-star star adaptation or stuff like that? Like, you know, just just really good books from some of the good series and adapt just one of them, you know? Like, that, I would have loved to have gotten a star-by-star
0: star adaptation, man. But weren't we supposed to get something like that with Invasion? Oh, wait, no, we're going to follow <laughs> characters we don't care about doing things that we don't care about. Which stinks, because that was Tom Taylor. And I, I I feel for the constraints he must have been under to create a story that has to interweave with these novels that exist side to side, so it couldn't have a lot of truly epic stuff going on in terms of the galaxy at large, because this is the guy that's doing my favorite DC comic series ever, Mm -hmm. Injustice Gods Among Us, based on the video game. You wouldn't think a video game-based comic series would be all that great, but it's probably the best read for a DC comics fan that I've ever seen. Nice, Um, It's outstanding, and yet, I guess it depends on the source material you're working with. It's a cool game and a cool concept, whereas New Jedi Order didn't leave a lot of wiggle room to work anything in. I mean, heck, they couldn't even put out the first, well, not even the first issue of it, the Zero issue of it that they released in two parts online first without making an error of claiming that attack was the first blow against the Yuuzhan Vong instead of what we see in Vector Prime and had to go back when they actually printed the Zero issue combining them in print form for people to buy and go back and change the wording to say it was one of the first strikes. But I suppose that's getting a little too nitpicky.
1: I think that comes down to where Dark Horse went with it, though, because I wrote my own fanfic during the New Jedi Order, and there was plenty of opportunities you could slip stories in. But I think it was the, the type of stories they were trying to tell. Hey, let's get Jason and Anakin and, and Jaina in here, and that's where you're going to limit yourself. When you bring the main characters in, they're already busy. You could have brought Kip Duran on. You could have brought Ganner Rysode in. You could have brought in any other character that didn't have a huge role during that going on. I was one that I got, I got hooked. I want to know what was going on. And then they had that whole, you know, what's going on with Finn? Uh, he, his, his stomach, the vong, his mom's actually a shaper. And then they're just like, and a satisfactory conclusion. How? How? I was following the character. His conclusion is not there. What the hell? Like, I, so I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I, I thought there was plenty of potential to tell a good story there, but I just felt like they really tried so hard to capitalize on that look we got Luke look we got Jason and Jaina and I mean yeah I was excited Jason and Jaina were there but they really stuck to that when they should have just had them there quick cameo and moved on not sent them on a mission with them that was that was where things got really bad and that's where they really tied themselves into a corner
0: well speaking of that whole idea of taking something and going more than it should have that's another thing that sticks out in my mind in one of the wrong turns that sometimes we would see from Dark Horse I mean there were times they gave us something that really built on something else. The Lost Tribe of the Sith spirals is a good example, where we had Lost Tribe of the Sith, which was really quite good in short story or novella form, and then we got that story that tied into it wasn't necessarily essential to the grand scheme of things, but gave us a cool new story with new dynamics of tying in Drapa and whatnot into the, again, it sort of into the grand scheme of things for the Lost Tribe of the Sith. That was an addition that made sense. We got Legacy. Legacy ended, then we got Legacy War that wrapped it all up, that made sense. But it seems like there were times where it was just sort of a not knowing when to stop. For instance, with, I already mentioned the whole thing with the Darth Vader series, Darth Vader and the Lost Command, Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison, good stuff, good stuff. Now let's bring in somebody who's never written a comic before, although, you know, maybe I shouldn't be saying that because I had never written a comic before, I got a chance to write in Tales, Um, but let's bring in a guy who's never written a comic before and. Throw him in to do Ninth Assassin, and it just didn't work. And neither, really, in a lot of ways, did Cry of Shadows, albeit better now, looking back on it, once reading it as a whole than doing it as individual issues. But I'm thinking specifically of a couple of instances where they should have stopped while they were ahead. I would say three actually. Shadows of the Empire Evolution. Shadows of the Empire went great. We'll talk about it here in a moment. But Evolution was horrid. Pretty much forgotten. And just bland all the way around. But they were trying to capitalize on that Shadows of the Empire name. Knights of the Old Republic. Great series. Great ending. Kind of a couple of endings, right? With Vindication and that what we finally got at the very, very end, I think it was with Demon. But then we got Kotor War. Absolutely unnecessary. And one of the few weak stories I would say is within John Jackson Miller's repertoire when it came to Knights of the Old Republic. It was a great series. But I mean, we're going to pretend we're all sick by pouring soup on our heads? Really? Something seemed to go awry with that particular story, and it wasn't a necessary ending. We already had our satisfactory conclusion. X-Wing Squadron is another example. Terrific series. Solid ending with mandatory retirement. And years later, to capitalize on the name, we get X-Wing Rogue Leader that was supposed to be this big return of the Rogue Squadron comics that really wasn't very good. It's just another one of these instances where we're going to capitalize on it. And they did that sometimes with sort of their original tales as well, uh, where they weren't tying into anything else. You take Crimson Empire. Crimson Empire 1, really solid, cool story. And then it was 2. And then eventually we got 3 that we waited years and years and years to get. And it was probably the most of either of the two continuations of Crimson Empire. Or you take Dark Empire. Dark Empire 1 stands as a classic of Star Wars EU storytelling, whether you love or hate the return of the Emperor or not. It is a seminal moment in the growth of the Legends continuity. But then it was Dark Empire 2 and Empire's End, both of which were relatively weak overall compared to the original Dark Empire that should have really probably been left to stand alone. The latter of which Empire's End had horrible artwork. I mean, Say what you will about Cam Kennedy's artwork with all the purples and the oranges and the reds and everything, but at least it carried the story. Everything in Empire's End felt like, I don't know, it felt like somebody was trying to tell you a really good, suspenseful story, but they kept farting during it. It was drawing your attention away from the storytelling. I don't know. It seems like from time to time, they latch onto a good thing and play it out until it croaked. Which makes me wonder if sometimes seeing an end that was premature, like Knight Errant, where it really had a lot of room to go and was really just getting good as we got to that last arc, if maybe there's sort of a dichotomy here of things that were sometimes really good that ended too early versus things that were good that just got stretched out too far.
1: Oh no, absolutely. Invasion, Knight Errant, Rebellion, all stories that got killed too soon. Dark Times, one that probably went longer than it needed to go. As in, at all, apparently. Yeah, Dark Empire 2, That one wasn't so bad, but Empire's End was like really like okay. So Han gets to be the the, the big hero at the end. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic. I I you know I, we've said this before. I, I disagree with you. I enjoyed War. I think for me, War was more an obvious solution to Demogal's Jedi problem than what Demogal himself was trying to do. It's like why create Jedi when you can just conscript Jedi? I, I for me, I like seeing the Mandalorian Knights. I thought that was a cool little thing. Uh, Shadow's Evolution, I agree, pointless, completely pointless there. But yeah, there seems to be a balance there that Dark Horse may not have ever gotten perfected of when to cancel a series and when to, to keep one going. Because there were a lot of times where series that you would have wished they would have ended kept plugging along, and stories that you wanted answers to just got wrapped up way too prematurely. Knight Errant Rebellion and Invasion are the ones that really come to mind. They were really you know aspects and angles of that, that that they they worked I mean you put out just enough comics to get me hooked get me interested get me to want more and then it evaporates and and that's a position as a fan I don't think anybody wants to be in where you're salivating for more and they're like and hey, we're done
0: now that I guess brings us into something I've mentioned a couple of times and I think this is probably one of their greatest I would dare say that it's three sort of faces on a great triumph for Dark Horse when they weren't telling something that was just an original story. When there was actually an active decision to do almost like the story group is doing now, and make different media interact in depth with each other. I'm a big fan of The Force Unleashed, and we got a really good adaptation of the first game with some new scenes that gave it more of a context, and then with The Force Unleashed 2, we got a side story in a lot of ways that added depth to that story almost in a Shadows of the Empire sort of way, or a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern sort of way with Hamlet. Uh, With Clone Wars, there was a plan in mind that had games and novels and comics that were set at specific intervals, With each other, before the Clone Wars cartoon series came around in 2008, there was really a day when the Clone Wars wasn't confusing, as Luke said. And instead, it all made sense and all interlocked. And the biggest portion of that, the most influential portion of that, the one that wasn't just one-off stories, was what we got with Dark Horse Comics, particularly with things like Republic and Obsession and Jedi. And, of course, the primary example of integration of media within Star Wars has to be Shadows of the Empire. And I kind of feel like they got the short end of the stick when it came to Shadows of the Empire, because while the novel got to be the story of the film characters, and the game got to be well remembered as this groundbreaking game in terms of Star Wars gameplay in general on the Nintendo 64, uh, and followed Dash Rendar, who's gotten to the point where he's so popular that his ship, the Outrider, or at least that model of ship, was just finally released actually this week as we're recording this as part of Wave 5's Two Ships for the X-Wing Miniatures game, the Dark Horse comic wound up focusing primarily on Boba Fett's struggle to get Han in Carbonite from Cloud City to Jabba. And to me, that always felt like the weaker of the three elements of the story, but it's still this grand experiment. I said that when it came to Dark Horse, they were great in their own eras, and when they're trying to build off something that already existed, a lot of times it was weak uh Like the old Republic stuff. But when they actively integrated with the other media, we got some things that really showed what Star Wars could do and what personally I hope the story group is going to be able to do with all Star Wars media going forward. Shadows of the Empire, the Clone Wars before the TV show came around and came in like a wrecking ball, as you sang <laughs> a while back uh, on either this show or Rebels Roundtable. And to a degree, the Force Unleashed were primary examples of Dark Horse really shining when it came to collaboration.
1: Well, another thing that they did in that regard that, I mean, maybe it doesn't necessarily fall in here, but I'm going to talk about it anyway, is the toy lines. Uh, They had the, the Star Wars comic packs that, you know, they had one Dark Horse comic and two characters out of that comic as toys. And as a toy collector... Those became my bread and butter there, as my as my toy collection started to die down. You know, episode two came out. I had every single toy they put out. I had the cash. I had I had no kids, and my wife was like, "Yeah, I get it," and so I did. Uh, but then I started to have kids, and it was like, well, you know, you probably shouldn't be buying everything. And so then episode three, it was like, "I'll buy the Jedi. I'll buy the droids. I'll buy all this stuff. I think's cool." And then I had to finally, I had to, I had to even cut that back. But these came out. And I say, you know what? I'm getting these. And this is all I'm getting. And even then, it eventually got to the point where it was like, you know, you'd have some characters that just weren't as cool. So I was like, okay, I gotta get the ones I want, you know. The Yuzan Vong, Kyle Kyle Katarn, you know, gotta have that one. The uh, Clone Emperor and Luke from uh, the uh, Dark Empire, gotta have that. Talon Card and and Thrawn, gotta have that. Mar and Luke, you know, gotta have that. Lamaya, gotta ha- I mean, you know, I, so many from Legends to Legacy, you name it, man. I, I've got so many of them. And I loved that collaboration there. I mean, yeah, Dark Horse didn't have to do much aside from throw out an idea, but to see those comic characters come to life in a toy form was absolute brilliance, man. And that, for me, was something I really dig.
0: Now, I'd say that those are sort of experiments, for lack of a better term, a chance to really kind of see what can be done with multimedia within Star Wars. But Dark Horse sort of was the place for Star Wars experimentation. You don't really get a lot of experimentation In the Star Wars novels, they're either playing it safe or they're part of a series and whatnot. Not really things that went way out of bounds and kind of shocked, except for a few instances like Death Troopers. And even then, it sort of played it safe within the story, but it was doing something, you know, different and whatnot. And of course, video games are a great place for experimentation. But That's sort of the nature of the genre. For every really awesome game that you get, like KOTOR, you wind up getting something like Super Bombad Racing. Or connect Star Wars. Although I like connect Star Wars, it gives me an exercise, and I will say I like dancing to "I'm Han Solo, I'm Han Solo, Solo," and so forth. But I will never do it in front of my wife ever, ever again. She had way <laughs> too much fun with that. Um, especially the uh, what was it, Jedi in a battle as opposed to genie in a bottle, or whatever it was, and some of these other things. Uh, uh the Force comes naturally. That's probably my favorite song of them, except for Solo. Oh, and yeah, not That's gonna funny. happen. That's anyway, um, true story. When it comes to experimentation, Dark Horse did quite a bit. Not, I mean, we we talked about how they reprinted stuff. They spent part of their publishing time and line and creative talent on reprinting stuff that maybe people weren't going to get into otherwise. They decided to go off with different groups of characters that weren't the main characters, such as the X Wing comics. Just as the novels went with the X Wing novels. Um, But I'd say some of their biggest experiments of all, not counting going into different eras, which we've already talked about, would be two things. Both of which have that controversial, pain-in-the-butt, pull-your-hair-out label on them. Infinities. A symbol that was never really properly explained at the time. The world of infinite possibilities. Which is supposed to mean it's a what-if story, it's out of continuity. It's just something cool and a deviation. Instead, you could sort of say there was a good use of it and a poor use of it. The best use of it? Some of the most intriguing Star Wars stories ever produced in comic form. Very much like, to me, Injustice Gods Among Us is as a DC comic, in that it's an alternate universe where anything is literally possible, and that was the Infinity's adaptations or variations of the three classic trilogy films. Uh, Infinity's A New Hope, awesome. Infinity's The Empire Strikes Back, not quite as awesome, but still awesome, and Infinity's Return of the Jedi. I think at some point you and I on this show need to deal with all three of those as separate episodes because they are so freaking awesome, and I want to read them again. Mm-hmm. Uh, great expansions. The downside of it being the one that I actually got a chance to participate in, which is Star Wars Tales, that began with Pete James essentially as the editor saying, we got a series here, some of it's going to be in continuity, some of it's not we're doing an anthology, where sort of anything goes because we want to have it be a place for experimentation. While it was already running, the Infinities label came into existence and got slapped onto it, and at times was treated as if somehow the mission of the series changed. It hadn't, but because it was on there, there were a lot of fans who said, well, it says Infinities. None of it actually happened, when instead it was sort of some of it happened, some of it didn't. Infinities meant that not everything should be considered in continuity, take it on a case by case basis. That continued under Dave Land where it really sort of veered into the goofy, dorky, I mean, uh, kind of stuff in some cases. It had Baby its decent Mall. stories in that time, but yeah, like Baby Mall, like what was it? Uh, Hate Leads to Lollipops or whatever it was. <laughs> um, but then finally right as the series was about to be canceled at issue number 20. That was supposed to be the end. Jeremy Barlow, the associate editor at the time, uh, who also, I, you know, fair You know, Full disclosure here, he's the guy that brought me in to write. Uh, He is a friend of mine. I would say, though, from an unbiased perspective, that even before that, I would have said he wrote some of the more thought-provoking Star Wars comics of the time, such as Jedi Yoda, uh, that look at things in a different philosophical way. Uh, Or what Sin Loyalty, that I later found out, after reading it and not realizing it, had a character named in the script after my podcast. Barlow was brought in to do four more issues, just four. But to really kind of do with the series what probably should have been done in the first place. Less stories, so more time for each story, but still an anthology. Have one be serialized and the other one's not, and basically give us an indication in the cover or on the the title page and whatnot of when do these stories take place and are they in continuity or not. I had the pleasure of being brought in and will be forever grateful to Jeremy and to Dark Horse for giving me the chance to write Equals and Opposites for Star Wars Tales number 21, or Volume 6, however you want to look at it, eventually got me to have figures from the comic pack based on the story, which was thrilling, and sort of gave me that confidence to do some self-publishing and finally hook up with Grail Quest Books to now have professionally released two novellas and a novel since then. But he was brought in and sort of righted this failing, floundering ship, and said, okay, if we're gonna have stuff that's in continuity and out, and in Star Wars... We do care about that. Let's just say it up front so that we can actually bring people in without frustration and just tell really fun stories like with Rob Williams material from it. I would say those probably stand out to me as the biggest experiments that they did that really sort of were outside the box. They were experiments just like going into different eras were, but they really took some outside the box thinking. And I would say that they were actually somewhat risky. Certainly riskier than, hey, let's tell the same frickin' era stories about the classic characters after A New Hope again, like Star Wars Volume 2 was.
1: See, and Tails is a weird beast. I remember when I was starting to get into comics for Star Wars. I mean, I was always a Marvel comic collector. But when I was getting into the Star Wars comics, I saw the Tales and I fell into that trap. I saw Infinities, and I thought, oh, it doesn't count, so I never bought them. Then later, I found out, oh, there are actually stories in here that exist. So then I, I was like, oh man, I got to go back and I got to hunt these down. And even now, there are some of those that I don't have. But I like, you know, when you look back on it, as you say, the, the, the experiment, the ability to tell tales that did not fit into continuity. And I think that there needs to be a place for that for Marvel, especially going forward. I think Star Wars needs a place for that. You know, I think that that's part of the thing that, that I would love to see with Legends getting to keep something, too. I think that Star Wars can be multiple universes, multiple, you know, that multiverse. You know, like you mentioned with the infinities, how you had the three different infinities. Each one was its own universe. You know, I've often said, you know, it'd be cool to see him come back and, and refresh those out. But maybe even see the Star Wars Tales line come back or something similar. You know, Marvel has a, as a uh, a what if line. I used to collect that a lot. I would love to see a Star Wars what if line that did exactly what Tales did, you know, and and they could do it in a, in a form that it was more explained from the start. Because, you, you know, Nathan, you point out when you wrote equals and opposites. That was about when I started following the tales, which tells you, you know, I mean, it was almost done at that point by the time I got involved. By the time I got involved, there were stories like Nomad and things like that that actually fit into canon. Well, not canon now, but Legends canon at the time. If it, it was official. You know, I'm using the quotes on the official continuity. So, you know, having stories that counted to Legends was something that made it suddenly something I had to have. I was like, oh, my gosh, there are actually stories in here that count. So, you know, I would love to see Marvel do something similar because I, I agree. I think that was a definite success and it gave them a, kind of like an experiment room, you know, to play with and come up with concepts and ideas that they could flesh out in other genres and other angles. You know, hey, let's make a series about that one story. You know, that would work.
0: All right. So as we're starting to round out this episode here, I guess we should probably take a second to give what we think of as some of the best in our eyes, uh, some of the worst In our eyes, and perhaps maybe some of the more forgettable ones, so that we have sort of a breadth and scope here of Dark Horse's run on Star Wars. Not necessarily every title, but many of them. We'll give our own opinions on, uh, you know, the best, worst, and whatnot here. But then, of course, we want to hear what you think. Now, whether it's the next episode of the show or not, kind of depends on our recording schedule and how much feedback we get back and when and that sort of thing. We want to do at some point, something, whether it's a feedback episode or something separate just for this topic, I want to get your thoughts on the end of Dark Horse's run. Uh, the end of it, plus fond memories and ugh memories. I'm not sure how you would spell that, but ugh memories to go back uh, through the time that Dark Horse had the Star Wars license. This was the company that gave us the comic Outings of the type of, of writers that they could become sort of synonymous with good Star Wars storytelling. Uh, Hayden Blackman, Michael Stackpole, John Ostrander, uh, Kevin J. Anderson dipped himself in there briefly, as did briefly Timothy Zahn, uh, John Jackson Miller stepping in here. Uh, I mentioned Jeremy Barlow when it comes to those quick, short, moralistic tales and whatnot. Uh, we've got a lot of really good Star Wars storytelling here, but they've produced a lot of stuff. Not all of which is necessarily the most fondly remembered stuff. Mark mentioned dark times earlier. I know some people love them some dark times. Not something I've really ever been able to stand for more than maybe an issue or so at a time. Just not my cup of tea. Running through here, for me, sort of mentally, the kind of stuff that we've got here, I would say that some of the best, just running down a list and then, you know, best, forgotten, worst, whatever. Um, Some of the best. I would say Dark Empire, albeit not the entire trilogy. Tales of the Jedi, uh, X-Wing Rogue Squadron, though not necessarily Rogue Leader. Shadows of the Empire, as aforementioned, with evolution not being included in there. Uh, The first, Crimson Empire, albeit not the last couple. The series of Republic, especially once it hit the Clone Wars era and became Republic, rather than Star Wars Ongoing Volume 1 from Dark Horse. Uh, Union telling the story of the wedding of Luke and Mara, especially in terms of the artwork that was often photorealistic, almost based on photo references of real people like Bruce Willis. Darth Maul, it was a thing that really introduced or reintroduced me to the art of one of my favorite Star Wars artists, Jan Dersima, who unknowingly I had seen back in one of my favorite Marvel comics, The Dream, that I later found out was her debut Star Wars comic. But the Darth Maul series there, the miniseries where we went after Black Sun, uh, and Son of Dathomir to go along with it being that weird thing bridging the two canons at this point. Chewbacca, sort of odd little stories, but at the time when we were dealing with the loss of Chewbacca in Vector Prime to get a story that was basically a glorified eulogy in comic form, it was really kind of a cool thing to do, a nice epitaph. I'm not sure it was the most entertaining story in general, but it was something of a catharsis that we really needed out in fandom. Obsession, Purge, the first couple of Vader stories, especially Dark Vader and the Ghost Prison. Uh, Knights of the Old Republic, minus War. Uh, Legacy, Volume 1, including War. Uh, The tie-ins to The Force Unleashed. uh, And a couple of newer ones, uh, Dawn of the Jedi and Agent of the Empire, the James Bond-style stories. To me, those that group tends to be the strongest of the stuff that was out there. Mark, your bests.
1: Now for me, I, I got a, a lot that you have as well. Uh The X-Wing series, I absolutely love that series. I love the art. I love the story. I loved getting into Wedge. KOTOR, you know, I've made no, no hints about that one. I have loved KOTOR and Legacy both very much. Purge, I really enjoyed the first Purge. The second and third one were okay, but the first one was my favorite. Also with Republic, but I'm more just with the Clone Wars. I really liked once it became the Clone Wars end of things. Like the whole line worked, but that the Clone Wars was really where I was loving that one. Uh, Star Wars Jedi, which is not the Qui-Gon story, but the one with the four different Jedi Masters. You had Mace, Yoda, uh, Aliyah Sakura, and another one. Those were some really cool stories. Mace's especially was one I really enjoyed. A- an odd one for me that I really enjoyed was Django Fed Open Seasons. I also had Chewbacca on there. That was that the memorial tale of after Chewie had died during the New Jedi Order. I, I loved seeing the New Jedi Order in comic adaptation at that point. That was the only comic we had up until Invasion finally came out. Dark Empire, I am with you. Uh, the first volume only. I, I The rest I don't really care about. Tales of the Jedi, that too is another great series, which actually I had I'd forgotten all about. You know, There's so many comics. It's so hard to remember them all. I mean, I've got two giant long boxes full of Star Wars comics that I'm like, you know, when I think about all the other ones out there, there's so many that are easy to forget about that I'm I'm forgetting about them right now. Uh and last on my list of wins was Knight Errant. I really liked having a female protagonist uh and, and a hero that was that was somebody that was dealing with what it was like to be in a sector of space that was ran by the Sith. I really enjoyed that story and I was really bummed when it ended where it did.
0: I don't know. I think Knight Errant would go on my list of goods. I where it was going looked like it could have been really cool sort of the same thing for invasion it had a lot of its issues Mm -hmm. and was very constrained but it looked like it was going somewhere cool before that bs satisfactory conclusion that wasn't satisfactory to anyone actually reading it of the the downside the ones that really kind of have me doing a facepalm a lot of the time droids Granted, the Dark Horse droid series wasn't nearly as goofy and childish as the droid series was from Marvel, but again, valedictorian of summer school. Droids just didn't do anything for me, although it is cool to find that C-3P-X was then going to return later in some of those uh, little kid RPG-slash-storybook-type missions from Scholastic as a droid owned by Darth Maul, which I thought was pretty cool. The Jabba the Hutt series. The Garsupon hit. The Dynasty Trap. Ugh. Um, Really, the Boba Fett series. Not Boba Fett Enemy of the Empire. I did like that one. But a lot of times the Boba Fett series felt like it was a cheap cash-in on the character. And just weren't great stories. The Bounty on Barcuda, for instance. Murder Most Foul. Yeah, yeah. Keep them. It just, just did not work for me. The General Grievous miniseries set during the Clone Wars just did not convey... I don't know if it was the artwork that did it for me or not, but that never really worked for me when it came to the Grievous character and the sense of what else was going on in the galaxy. Same thing in a lot of ways with Jedi Council Acts of War. That just never really worked very well for me, although it was good to get Micah Guite out of there so we could explain how Ki-Adi Mundi joins the Jedi Council and whatnot. Dark Times. I don't know what I expected from Dark Times, but what we got was not it. Never, once we got past that first story arc, Path to Nowhere, it felt like that's exactly where the rest of the series was going. Nowhere. Not a big fan of Crook. Sorry, Mark. Never have been. <laughs> uh, so his parts of it really didn't work for me all that well. Never really cared about Das Janir and the crew of the unpronounceable ship. Really? The ending of it was okay payoff, but still didn't pay off enough to make reading through that entire series worthwhile to me. So Dark Time's definitely going to fall under there on one of the black eyes for me. Star Wars Volume 2, um, screw continuity and full speed ahead, let's bring in a big name like Brian Wood just to be able to say that we did, and to hell with whether he tells stories that are internally or externally consistent. Rebel Heist, interesting experiment in storytelling from the different points of view, just didn't really work very well for me at all, overall. And I would actually say that one of the things that is unfortunate, in terms of ones that I found as downers, or the ones that just really didn't do anything for me, is A, the Clone Wars crossover comic series, regular comics, that died very quickly. The ones that tied into the Clone Wars TV show after 2008. But then also the Digest based on it, and all the other digests. I know Mark we're going to be covering the Digests probably early in 2015, or at least some of them. I dread it almost, because there was the Clone Wars Adventures Digest, based on the Tartakovsky series style. Then you had the Clone Wars Digests that were one story each, based on the cartoon series that aired on Cartoon Network for five seasons. And then, of course, got the Netflix sixth season. And then there's the Star Wars Adventures Digest, not to be confused with the kids' scholastic series of the same name. There were always these throwaway stories, sometimes more than one in an issue, so they had to go very quickly, and a lot of times were just sort of goofy. And because they were digest size, they cost more than a standard comic did without giving you the satisfaction that a standard comic tended to. Uh, so they're definitely one of the wop 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 for me, alongside the other stuff that I've previously mentioned in the episode like Shadows of the Empire Evolution that perhaps need not to be discussed again.
1: Yeah, losses for me, I I was on this kick a while back where I was trying to collect the older stuff before I got the Omnibus for droids, and that was one that I was like, whoa, what is going on with this? Uh, Darth Vader and the Ninth Assassin, a.k.a. Darth Vader and the Lack of Plot, could not handle that one at all. A weird one that, that was always odd to me was Shadow Stalker, that little one throw-off that went into the Shadows of the Empire stuff. Uh, Star Wars Volume 2, I, I'm with you on that one. While the art was okay at times and stuff like that, as a project, that just failed. They should have tried making that the new canon. I could have been behind that as new canon. I think it would have been a totally different experience if that was new canon. Crimson Empire 2 and 3, I I almost dare say the whole Crimson Empire series, but I did like the first one. I like the Nominor twist that they eventually built off of. And, and you mentioned the Digest. I think my issue with the Digest is I haven't collected as many of those as I would have liked. And I'm just now realizing that I may never get to collect all of those because I never even thought about them until just now and I've got till the end of this year to get them unless Marvel reprints those as well and I honestly don't see them reprinting those. I mean, that, that's that's just one that... I don't know, when, when I was collecting comics, the Digests always seemed like the throwaway stories. They seem more infinities than anything else.
0: I seem to remember a commercial that's on eBay. Don't worry about it. You'll be able to find it. <laughs> I guess I would also have to, I can't believe I I must have blocked it out, Darth Vader and the lack of plot, or Ninth Assassin, as those who like it call it and such from my, my poor list there. What stands out to me, though, and I think this is a testament to just how freaking many comics that Dark Horse was able to produce, is that there are so many series or installments they put out that are kind of forgotten, that don't generally come up in the best of or worst of types of discussions that we have, I want to run through some of these real quick. No real details or anything, just a quick zip. Just to see if there are any thoughts we want to add to any of these that are often overlooked. Because this is a chance really for Dark Horse's sort of unheralded tales to get at least a little bit of airtime here. Uh, Stories like... I know this is going to cause a lot of people to scratch their heads. River of Chaos. (laughs) The Jabba Tape. The previously mentioned... Jedi Academy Leviathan, the oft-forgotten but heralded at the time Mara Jade by the Emperor's Hand.
1: as on my list.
0: Vader's Quest, which of course got a lot of new readers thanks to Star Wars Volume 2 and trying to figure out when the heck did Vader learn Luke's name, and those who were reading the, the tie-in tale, of course, that had appeared in Marvel that Vader's Quest was sort of spinning off of. The Bounty Hunters one-shots. The Jedi one shots including one called jedi dooku which i think is probably an oxymoron at that point starfighter crossbones previously mentioned empire and rebellion probably one of the more well-known of the ones i would put on this sort of forgotten list because a lot of times it doesn't show up on the best of or worst of lists for most people the old republic series previously mentioned is kind of a for me i would say knight errant would go on this list for many star wars readers because when they think of John Jackson Miller, they tend to think of Knights of the Old Republic, not Knight Errant. Uh, Lost Tribe, but this is spiraled kind of the same way. And when it comes to Clone Wars era or tie-in stuff, the Jango Fett and Zam Wissel one-shots. Jango Fett open seasons, blood ties, the Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan stories. Last Stand on Ormentel and on the Aurorient Express. A Valentine story. The many and varied Boba Fett series, though... I would say that there's a ra- actually a really cool one in there that I believe was serialized first in the pages of Star Wars Galaxy, but with that Twin Engines of Destruction where he hunts down Jodo mm-hmm. Cast and whoops his butt.
1: That was a good one.
0: And then also oft forgotten, Dark Horse's brief foray into graphic novels, not in terms of comic books, but prose stories with art pages in it, the Dark Forces graphic novels, the ones that the, the first one Soldier for the Empire led into the events of the first Dark Forces game with the last chapter overlapping some of the, the game, like the first mission of the game and the last chapter of the book pretty much fit together. And then Rebel Agent and Jedi Knight adapting the video game Jedi Knight Dark Forces 2. Imagine something like that these days being produced with art inside, say, by Chris Travas. Amazing Star Wars artist, doesn't mm-hmm. do interior comic art, That would be a perfect showcase for something like that. And I would, being someone in fan audio since 2002, I would be remiss if I didn't also mention, as sort of an honorable mention here, that while not produced by Dark Horse, we should note that some of the Dark Horse comics got a treatment that's very rare in Star Wars publishing outside of something that sort of lends itself to it, like, say, uh, the Shakespeare Star Wars stuff that's been coming out recently. And that is that there were a handful of Star Wars comics from Dark Horse that got audio dramatizations. Uh, The Dark Forces series, all three of them were dramatized as audio dramas. The first story of Crimson Empire, uh, the first couple of stories, or I guess the first three storylines or first three series of Tales of the Jedi got them, and all three. Installments of Dark Empire got them, assuming you bought that Mm -hmm. collector's edition CD set that had all three of them in it, which was the only way to get Empire's end at the time. It is a many and varied library. Oh, and one that I I listed there as don't forget to mention and almost forgot to mention the story that futzes with continuity, but has some of the most off the wall, but cool looking, bizarre, love it or hate it artwork of Star Wars comics. Underworld. The Yavin Basilica.
1: <laughs>
0: Mark? Well, you
1: named a lot of them on my list, so I, I will limit that right now. Uh, Republic, I have it on there because some of the early arcs, and I can't think of, the, there was like a one-shot, like number 33 or number 32, like Star Crash or something like that. Just weird stuff that kind the of- The Legend of b-
0: Zelda in space?
1: Yes, that one! I, yeah, I can't offer the life of me, I got it, I remember finding it somewhere, like- I went to this random comic store as I was traveling from Portland from Grants Pass and I stopped midway and like Eugene. And I was like flipping through the Star Wars comics. I'm like, oh my God, the one comic I don't have. And then I read it and was like, what the heck is this? This has nothing to do with anything about characters that do not exist anywhere else. So weird things like that to slip through. Empire and Rebellion, those series, I'm going to throw those on there. Rebellion mainly because once it hit vector, it just disappeared like it was never even there. Empire had some good characters and stuff, but it, it again got kind of forgotten about you know, and and you already mentioned Mara Jade by the empire's hand that I remember being good, but, and I, and I think that that's the problem with most of these forgotten's is that the really good stories knock these off of the good story list and they're not bad. So they don't go into the lost list. So everything else just kind of falls in that forgotten in between, Uh, you know, you're going to have a run of the mill with the forgotten's.
0: Well, let me ask you this. Is it possible that part of why we have in, in this huge library, Of Dark Horse stuff that's out there. Is it possible that part of why so many series get lost in the shuffle is because really until Star Wars Volume 1 slash Republic and then later splitting it off into supposedly Republican Empire coming from the same source and all that kind of stuff, a couple of reinventions along the way, most of the early days of Dark Horse, it was Here's a mini series. Here's a mini series. Here's another mini series. How about a mini series based on the mini series? And even the ongoing series, or what we thought of as ongoing series, were marketed as if it was a series of mini series. Doesn't that make it easier for stuff to get lost in the shuffle than if you had you know, something like KOTOR that is an ongoing series that has multiple story arcs, but can be thought of as something that was a swath of a huge chunk of time?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that goes into a marketing campaign that I think that Dark Horse failed on. They went from that to the big series, which when they went to the big series, I think that was the smartest they could have done because you knew exactly which Star Wars comics you needed to find. And then they were all like, well, we're getting these series up past 50 and, and we we should probably reboot them. And well, like we find out with Dark Times, it was never actually a reboot. All they did was just made it more confusing to follow what the hell was going on. You know, it started out as Star Wars. Star Wars became Republic. Republic then became uh, the Empire Rebellion, which then or. I don't even know. At that point, it got to it got to the end of Republic and then split into three, right? Empire Rebellion were each their own, and then Dark Times became the one that they considered the follow-through, which is like, and, and we're doing that because you had one character from the last comic of the ones jump over? Uh, okay. It became so confusing in that regard that, yeah, I think that that's a big reason with a lot of that. And, and I think, too part of with KOTOR War I think you know had they not done that and if KOTOR War would have been part of the other series I don't think that it would have been so bad it wouldn't have felt like it was tacked on as much I I think that that shift back to that well we're just going to tell them a story arcs and then they really did that with Dark Times like Dark Times was Republic but it was Dark Times but it was also each individual arc it was like wow how convoluted can we get our message across to people here you know when it was just those Few comics when it was Republic, Kotor, the Legacy, and those things. It was easy to follow. I I knew I had four comics that I was getting, you know. And then they broke it up, and it was like, oh, did I get them all? Is there another one coming through? And you really had to focus on, you know, the the news releases as to what was coming out from Dark Horse each week because there may be another miniseries slipped in that you might not know about. And, and I think that that was where. A lot of the chaos came in when they they did that rebooting their number system. They weren't rebooting anything but the numbers on the covers. And then even then, when you look down in the little publication note at the bottom, it would say Republic number 128, even though you're in Dark Times number four. You know,
0: it was like, what the hell? So I guess uh, if there's any last thoughts that I would add, it's just that uh, it's, I don't know, it's an exciting and yet a really sad time, I think for Star Wars fans right now. It's the end of one continuity, the beginning of a new one. Uh, Lots of new promise and new possibilities, but it doesn't feel like that's really where we're going yet with the titles that Marvel has announced so far. Uh, But then again, it did take Dark Horse a while to get going, so maybe, just maybe, you know, we'll be showing up here decades from now doing some type of discussion, whether it's on this podcast or another, looking back at Marvel's second run on Star Wars and saying how great their potential was in the beginning and how they did so well with it, uh, hopefully. But for now, it certainly is for those of us who in a lot of ways grew up with Star Wars and grew up with Star Wars Legends continuity, which means growing up with Star Wars coming from Dark Horse, it is kind of a sad time to see the old banner go. But one wonders where that new blood is going to come in. I personally would have to sort of give a tip of my hat, especially to Randy Stradley. We have not always agreed. The idea that uh, continuity needed to be sort of flexible and a secondary concern in some cases to good storytelling, the way that discussion was handled years ago, it's something that was chronicled on Chrono Radio, used to drive me nuts. I'm not the biggest fan, as you already know, of Dark Times, and I think it was really kind of a head scratcher to find that he was writing as multiple people. But Randy Stradley, or Mick Harrison, or Wells Hartley, Whatever your name may be, sir. Gotta tip my hat to you because you steered this saga through Dark Horse. Probably more so than just about any other part of the franchise. From 2002 onward, and the successes greatly outweighed the things that didn't work as well as it should have. You steered it in an era that gave us the Clone Wars multimedia project. Things like KOTOR. Things like Legacy. It was probably the 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 high point in the golden age of Star Wars comics from Dark Horse, maybe of Star Wars comics in general, in total. And for that, I think, as fans, we owe Mr. Stradley and the entire team at Dark Horse a hearty thanks. Because one wonders how long it will be before Star Wars comics really reach that type of heyday again, if ever.
1: Amen. But
0: honestly... Did you really call Invasion a
1: satisfactory conclusion? What were you reading? Now, one last thing before we go. I do want to mention, you know, Nathan talks about how one chapter of Star Wars is closing and another one's opening. And I know a lot of fans out there. It still doesn't sit well with you. I'm one of them. I know Nathan to a degree is as well. The only thing I can tell you is just go out there and use that hashtag continue legends. Don't say anything else. Just use that. Let them know you're out there. Let them know you'd like to see it continue. And maybe, just maybe, enough of us will speak up that they'll realize there's a dollar to be made now that about wraps up this episode of star wars beyond the films we'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom and remember you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the star wars report website second airborne division at www.starwarsreport.com episodes are also available on zoom stitcher and on itunes which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it you can also find links to our episodes on both our twitter and our facebook pages at swb beyond films or just type in star wars beyond the films in your search bar hey but no matter how you get there be sure to like our facebook page it's one of the best ways to interact with us it's our own home one if you will not only can you post comments to us about the show we love interacting with you fellow fans so if you have any star wars and or eu slash legends questions or you just want to comment about a past episode fire off you can always email us directly at sw beyond films at star wars now lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com You get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and
0: may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that Marvel really is going to wow us with those first few series instead of us sitting back thinking, wow, here we go again.
1: Or that hashtag continue legends will work and continue legends. Please. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. Although, I'm cutting that out, because there's nothing... yet. Yeah, there's, there's nothing
0: to be spoilers. There. I'm like, our so like, spoilers <laughs> of Dark Horse made comics? That's <laughs> now, spoiler-free. Can, and then the yeah. spoiler-ish would be naming them, maybe? <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, lastly, before... My tongue gets tied right at the end. What the French, man?